You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. I was up till 2 o'clock in the morning last night, and even as your pastor, I can say, I'm a, I'm a little tired this morning. Would you guys do this? Can we all just be a family? Would you stand with me real quick? Here's what we're going to do. Uh, this is really spiritual. I actually learned this um, when I spent my time in monastery. But this is, I'm going to teach you guys something this morning. And again, this is, this is good. This is how we connect with the Lord when it's early in the morning. You guys ready? This is a deep spiritual moment. I'm going to take your hands. Everyone ready? Put them out above or next to or below, wherever you got room above you. And just five seconds, just shake them. Ready? Everyone now. Good. Good job. Awesome. Have a seat. <laughs> Y'all awake yet? Good. All right. Sometimes you got to have a good shake. It's got to shake it out, as Taylor Swift would say, shake it off, and uh, you got to be ready to go. So everyone ready to go this morning? Whew, yeah, I agree. You know, some Sundays I, I feel that tension. Does anyone feel that tension of game face when it comes to church? And then you're like, man, I'm so tired. But can I tell you, I, I just get fired up when it comes to the word. And so I feel like this, this tension sometimes of like, man, I'm, I'm so tired, and then I'm supposed to get you guys all excited, and some of y'all are just stone-facing me, and stone-facing the worship band, and I can see Jana like, everybody's excited to be here, but some of y'all are just like, no, I'm not, I'm not excited to be here, don't look at me, Jana, <laughs> but she's like, we got this, Holy Spirit, but I appreciate you, Jana, and the team, thank you for bringing it, and uh, if you're in the audience, it's okay to smile sometimes at the worship team, like, I don't even like this song, but it's all right, you can smile, we can notify our faces that our hearts have received salvation. Amen. <laughs> well, this morning, uh, we're jumping into our psalm series. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor here at Banner Church. Uh, I, I'm really excited about this series for a couple reasons. One, uh, I started my time in ministry as a worship pastor. And the thing that I learned as a worship pastor, the person who leads, leads this music, is all of these hilarious like disassociations we've made and, and separations we've made as a church. There is no such thing as a worship pastor. You will never find a worship pastor in a Bible. Worshipers, those who worship, people who lead others, but not like this is the worship pastor, this is what they do. There was kind of this onus that we all did this together. And we were all part of it together, and we all work together in these things. And so there's a lot when it comes, I feel like, to worship, for, for lack of better words, the time of music, the worship of our life, the, the time of, of prayer or just praying in our life, that, that sometimes we can be a little confused about, especially if we come from like a really religious context, especially if we come from a place that had a separation between like the priest and everyone else. And so we begin to kind of disassociate from those things that they're not for us. And, and really in this season, Series, my, my prayer as we look at some special psalms is that we would all realize that God is walking with us through life and that he's put a song in our heart. And some of you guys are like, I'm not lyrical, I'm not musical, and, and that's not what I mean. What I believe is that God wants to walk with you in life and things are happening to you in life and turns out God wants to hear from you about them. And so David had a really special way of wrestling with God, of sharing with God, and, and, and his are, you know, unique in that sense. But even if you are not the songwriting lyricist and all these things, God still wants to commune with you. And God still wants to hear from you, and, and he still wants to, to commune with you. 
and that there's not a separation, that it's only for the worship team to sing out what God's doing or, or those who are really uh, theological in the way we use that term now to get into the word. But it's for all of us that God is walking us on a journey and turns out he wants it to be relational. Is everyone with me this morning? And so when we look at Psalms, and we're going to look at this series together, we don't just see songs for the temple, and we do kind of see some very like official religious songs, but we also see Psalms uh, in the valley with shepherds, right? We see uh, a shepherd song, we see them crying out uh, songs that come out of caves, songs that are written in throne rooms, psalms that are written uh, in, in times of joy, psalms that are written after the death of a child, right? Just all kinds of psalms that are being written. And obviously we can't go through all of them. At our last church, we spent every Wednesday for what seemed like an eternity, every Wednesday night to go through every psalm. But we, we don't uh, have that time on a Sunday morning here, but they're all good, trust me. Uh, but the, really the Psalms are real and raw. And this is what I want to get across. Why we call it lyric is I believe that there's something in your heart that we often want to say and wrestle with and speak, but we're unsure if we have kind of maybe the right, for lack of better words, to come with God and to speak with him and, and to kind of commune and to get into the word and to learn and pray and all these things. And so I, I want to encourage us that worship and prayer uh, are crucial in our life. And people do things differently in their stylistic things, but worship and prayer are so crucial in our life. And, and they're fundamental tools, not, not just to survive our week, but to thrive in our life, right? To, to be living the life that God intended for us, worship and prayer are so crucial. And when I got away and I, and I was praying about the church and uh, you know, I really appreciated your guys' grace for Katie and I as, as we begin to lead this church. Because there's a lot of things we don't know, and then we try things, and, you know, sometimes they work and sometimes they flop. So I appreciate your grace in both things. Celebrate in the good and, you know, give us grace in the bad. So we really do appreciate that. And as I was getting away and I was praying, I really felt like the area as a church that we needed to grow is in our liturgies during the week. Meaning this. How have we set up ways in which we commune with God consistently during the week so that we don't have weekend religious participation but weekly communion? Because what gets you through the week, spoiler alert, is not this. This is great. I love gathering together. I love small groups. I love getting together on Sunday morning. I mean, I, I like all of those things. And I think they're so crucial. They're an outpouring. But what will get you through your day and through your week is that you have established in your heart and your life habits and ways to be worshiping God, to be praying, to be communing with the Lord. Is everyone with me? And so as a church, I, I feel like my, my heart and my prayer is that as we look at Psalms, we look at how did David live, wrestle with, worship, praise, walk through with God, the cave, the throne room, wherever he was at. How did he do that in a way that it wasn't just the times he showed up to the temple? And David loved the temple. Come to church. Uh, but how did he do that? And so we're going to start this series. And... Uh, I know songwriters, if, if there's any songwriters, you kind of have your main titles when you write songs. And then you have what would be like a secondary title, like if this title's taken. Like, you know, if you write a song, you know, Love Stinks or Hotel California, that's taken. So you need to come up with another title. So technically, the, the title of Psalm 23 is the shepherd's psalm or the Lord is my shepherd. 
the kind of artsy subtitle I'm going to attach that we're going to use, uh, colon madness or, you know, like whatever, whatever kind of clever way we want to label this, is green pastures. Somebody say green pastures. Green pastures. So we're going to study Psalm 23 together. And if you brought your Bible, can you open that uh, with me to Psalm 23? I'm reading out of ESV. Uh, there should be words on the screen, and we'll read it together. I mean, I'll, I'll read it, and you'll read it as well, but I guess you can read out loud if you want. <laughs> Whatever you feel like doing. Uh, psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Psalm 23, one of the most favorite psalms. How many of you guys have just ever heard that, even in passing? Maybe your grandma had it like up on a plaque in her kitchen, just something, right? And psalm 23, I think, is one of the most famous psalms. And uh, I, there's a lot in here, so I, I want to kind of decompress it and, and open it up here. We'll dive into it together. But it's written by King David, Psalm of David. And uh, it's about when David was young. And when David was young, he was most notably known as a shepherd. Before he was a king, he was a shepherd. David was the youngest in his family. And when you were the youngest in your family, it meant you got the jobs no one wanted. Any youngest in here, you get the gigs nobody wants because you're way down the line. So somebody has already claimed the good chores that take five minutes and you get sheep poop. That's your job. So everyone gets the good. They get like a dish and you get all trash, dog poop, everything. So that, that is what he got. And you're like, that's kind of mean. All the youngest are like, oh, no. Well, in the age of collective family and not postmodern, you know, individualism, uh, when you were the youngest, you didn't get inheritance. You didn't get much. If you got something, you got it down the line. And so what you got was a trade, and the trade he was given because of what his family was, was shepherd. And so he gets his task-oriented job. In fact, and this is what I find interesting, I'm just giving scriptural context because not everybody ha has read this. So if you've read it, bear with me. Uh, is that when Samuel comes and he comes to Jesse, who was David's father, and he feels like God's led him there to anoint the next king of Israel, right? And he comes in. Jesse brings in all his kids except for David. If that happened now, there would be some serious family therapy because he brings in every son and walk, they walk across and he lines them up in front of him and he's like, no, not this one, not this one. And then he's like, do you have any other kids? And Jesse's like, ah, I mean, I got this other kid, but it's David, and he's short, and he smells like sheep. And he's like, all right, well, I guess go get him. And it's like, whatever. And uh, turns out David was who was supposed to be anointed as king. So David wasn't, and, and I'm saying this to give context, David, when he's writing it, and the context that's informing this, he's writing it from a place where he's not sitting on a throne, you know, robed in purple and all these things. Now, it's likely David wrote this when he was later in life. But what he's recalling is a song and the song of his heart that came from this time. Youngest child, 
when it came to potentially getting something good, like being king, his dad doesn't even mention him. He's only forced to mention him. But so he's out with the sheep. And it's interesting that David was a shepherd, and so he understood sheep, he understood their temperament, and he understood how to lead them. And he also understood really the kind of care and protection that they needed. Uh, we see in 1 Samuel 17, 34, when Saul uh, tells David, uh, you guys are likely, some of you have likely heard about David and Goliath in some Western context, you know, David and Goliath, whether it's an underdog team or whatever. But when David goes out to fight Goliath, Saul says to him, you're too young, you're too small, blah, 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 you don't fit in my armor. David says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Now, I just watched Tarzan last night. <laughs> That's hardcore. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think I'm decently tough. But if a lion came in here and grabbed one of y'all, I'd probably let him go, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I love you guys. But a lion and a bear. And he says, yeah, I went. And not only did I get the sheep back, but when it turned on me, I killed it. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. We read things in the Bible, we're like, oh, that's fine. That's awesome. And I, that's so cool. And David is saying, like, I was a shepherd. But what he's trying to say about shepherds is, like, don't look down on us. Like, we're tough. We got a union. We're together. We got this. Lions come in. We kill them. They're done. So he's setting this ideology of, like, who is a shepherd? That it's lowly, but it's strong, and it's caring, and it's nurturing. And so David's experience informed how he saw God. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about perspective. Again, David's perspective informed how he saw God. And so he understood love, protection, sacrifice. And it's not just some far off poetic idea. This is like David saying, here's what happened Wednesday. Right? This is David understanding what is happening in his week and sharing it. And what I think is so profound is that this idea of the shepherd is connected so closely to Jesus Christ. And in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And why this is crazy is that the Hebrew people would have never picked a shepherd to list God as. Because people all the time were trying to make gold images and make their God look great and all these things. And David picks the lowliest of jobs. But it's because even though he didn't know Jesus, even though he hadn't met Jesus or, or in these things, he knew God. He knew Jesus. He knew that heart. Does that make sense? Is everyone with me this morning? And so Psalm 23, and we'll break it down in just a second, is something he wrote specifically addressing the ideas of worry, fear, and anxiety. It's meant to be sung. It was born out of his life. And I think when we read a song, uh, especially one that is thousands of years old, I think context is important, right? When we agree, context is so key. I, I think of this all the time. You know, my, my dad and, and actually one of my former bosses went to the Ukraine. And they were talking with some people and there was a dog kind of like chilling out where they were there, just totally lazy, hanging out. And my old boss says, oh, yeah, it's a dog's life. And the people were like, that sounds awful because it's a dog's life has a much different. Dogs are, you guys have been around the world, right? Dogs are not always treated the same way that they're treated here or live the same life. So the words mean something so different because of the culture. I, I was laughing because I was looking up like phrases that don't translate well. And, and uh, one of the phrases I was trying to find is, 
a German phrase. I don't speak German, and this will prove it. It's a Tomaten auf den Augen haben. Close enough. I sound like the Swedish chef. But literally, it means you have t- tomatoes. I'm German, and I couldn't even nail it. I practiced. I literally practiced. Couldn't get it. Um, but it means you have tomatoes in your eyes. Everyone's like, oh, of course. Of course, tomatoes in my eyes. We've all been there. The one German person is like, yes, thank you. I don't even know German for, what's German for yes? <laughs> Anyways, no one, thank you for helping me, guys. Um, but it means you're not seeing what everyone else is seeing. Literally, like you can't see the things everyone else is seeing. So this phrase, you have tomatoes in your eyes. A German person's like, okay, yeah, sure, I'm assuming. This, the internet told me this, so who knows. Uh, but for us, it gives us no context there. And I think the same thing is true when David talks about the Lord being my shepherd. Because I have spent what I would consider zero time with sheep. And I think if we pooled all of our sheep time together, we'd be pretty low on the knowledge of sheep scale. I'm just going to hazard a guess given that we're in Scottsdale. And so this song is birthed out of a real experience, but I don't want a tomato in my eyes kind of understanding of the psalm. Is everyone with me this morning? I don't want a tomato in my eyes. I want to know what is he saying here, not just like, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. He has a staff, and if I go to the Christian bookstore, there's a beautiful painting, and I'm at peace. Like, oh, be at peace now because of a shepherd. No, we need to know what does he mean when he says this. And so I just want to pull out a couple things because I believe if we could get this, we can take it with us. Because when we understand something, it burns into our heart. We know it, we feel it, we understand it, and we can take it with us. If I know it and you leave, it doesn't really help you. So my, my prayer this morning is that God would commit it in your heart. So let's look, let's just jump here real quick to uh, starting in verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That right off the bat messes with people. Because what it sounds like is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall never need or be in need, or my heart will never desire things, or feel in deficit in some way. But what it's meaning, what it's saying is, isn't that I won't ever have a need, it's David saying in his life, I trust the Lord to provide. I trust God to provide. And he's saying this literally like, in the, in the wilderness with sheep, not, not in the throne room, he's saying this in a situation where he needs God to provide. And from his life in the wilderness, what he's, what he's recalling, what he's remembering, what he's singing, what he's reaffirming into himself. I prayed this, this psalm last night. Is what he's reaffirming is that God is trustworthy, that I can trust him, that he is good. He's not saying, I, I won't need. He's saying, I will only desire what my God has to give. That my wants will be defined by, by God, not, not by me, not, not by my fear, not by my anxiety, but that God can meet my need. And, and how, do, how does he do it? There's something really simple that he uses, and he uses a kind of uh, pastoring, a, a shepherding example here. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, here's where I want to jump. Remember our secondary title was green pastures. Somebody say green pastures. Green pastures. Here's the context. There's a couple phrases. He makes me lie down. If you have your Bible, you can underline lie down. We love to lie down. Does anybody here love lying down, taking a nap? When we are stressed as people, uh, I don't really like naps, but I see this happen a lot because I got my wife and, you know, this girls living with me, and they love, girls love naps. It's crazy. They're just like, I'm stressed. I got to go take a nap. And then they're fine. 
It's like food or nap, and then everything's great. So we love to nap. <laughs> we love to nap as people. Sheep do not love to nap. Sheep do not, if sheep are anxious, they do not like to lie down. Philip Keller uh, in A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 says, Sheep do not lie down easily and will not unless four conditions are met. It says because they're timid, they'll not lie down if they're afraid. Because they're social animals, they'll not lie down if there's friction among the sheep. If flies or parasites trouble them, they'll not lie down. Finally, if sheep are anxious about food or hungry, they will not lie down. Rest comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. He's dealt with their anxiety, he's dealt with their conflict, he's dealt with their sickness, and he's dealt with their need, their hunger, their desire. See, David is talking here about worry. He's talking about anxiety. And he's using this image of a shepherd to point out how much the sheep need the shepherd. Because as it turns out, the sheep can't remove any of that. If you ever see a sheep remove its own parasite, capture that and we will film it and make a lot of money. Because a, a sheep is not responsible for any. The sheep cannot defeat lions. It doesn't work like that. The sheep rely on the shepherd. And so David knows when, when I trust in God, I begin to be released from fear and worry and anxiety in my life. That God is the only source of freedom. And it goes back to this phrase, green pastures. One of the things I love in Arizona is I feel like we can get this. As Arizona, we can get this. Uh, I, Seattle, it's a little different. I, I feel like Arizona, we can get this because we're an arid climate. Uh, is that oftentimes when we hear green pastures, we think like Wisconsin. I've never been to Wisconsin. Actually, wait, I think I went to a lake there once. But it's really green. We think like green, lush grass just all the way around us. It's beautiful. That's all we can picture. It's like they're, they're like fenced in. And there's like a little lamb jumping across. And they're just laying in the grass. And everything's amazing. And so that's, does anyone else see that picture when you think green pastures? You think like, yeah, green, green pastures, thanks, awesome, five of you. Um, but in green pastures, we get a different vibe in that in uh, Negev, in, in Israel, in this area, they, the sheep are not brought down into the farmland to graze. If you're a farmer, you do not want sheep grazing. You worked hard for all of that. You would like to keep it. And there's not a lot of farmland. So in the area, uh, in Negev, there's a picture, I think, of a map. Let's see. If, maybe. Yeah. Danke. That's German for thank you, I think. Uh, <laughs> in Negev, they would graze, thank you, in mountains and valleys. And it would look kind of like this. See that second picture? Go ahead and hit that next one. This is kind of what it looks like. Man, it looked even way greener on my computer screen. Does any, do you guys kind of see the green? You, no, yeah, that's, that's probably the right answer. And, and here, here is the green pasture, probably at its most green. Can you put up picture three? You guys see all that? So picture three, like that's pretty good. That looks nice. That's, and here it is at its least green. There it is. Remember, sheep got to eat all year round. Sheep are not seasonal. It's not like church attendance. You don't just not do it in the summer. It's <laughs> sheep are all year round. Uh, they're all the time. And so that's its picture at its least green. And this is the area of Negev. It doesn't get much water. But the water that it gets, and I've been studying this all week, and it's just, it's like awesome. It, it doesn't 
rest everywhere, it settles, right? Moisture comes in and it settles near rocks or crevices or, or in certain valleys and different things. And it, this little bit of grass pops up. And so the one picture, the greenest one, looked decently green, but it doesn't quite look Wisconsin green, right? It, but it still looks pretty green. But this area, this space is called green pastures. Can you put up the fifth picture? That, this is called green pastures where all this kind of grass has grown in. All of this stuff right here. So when we zoom in on that, that this is kind of what it looks like of the green pastures. And so it's not a huge field. And this is what, I, as I was praying through this week, it's not a huge field. It's just enough. And so a shepherd would, will lead their flock from place to place to place and, and find the right spot. They'll know not only their sheep, but they'll know the hill. They'll know where provision is. The sheep are just kind of like going and eating and going and eating. And so the shepherd brings them into a place like this so that they can be, so they can lie down, so they can rest, so that they can have food. And so a good shepherd brings them to the areas of green pastures. You can put up, just go ahead and put up that second picture that shows it from far away. And I, I think and I hope this changes our perspective and it changed mine is that green pastures is not everything that I'm going to need from now until the end of eternity. Green pastures is not all I could ever need forever, that, that nothing's going to have to change. Green pastures in the sense that the psalmist is writing it. I didn't write the song. I didn't live there. This is from what he's writing. Green pastures is so different because it means just enough for right now. It means what I need right now, not for the rest of my life. And I, and I heard someone sharing about this, and, and he joked and said, uh, God doesn't take you and plop you down into belly deep alfalfa, uh, this really um, fantastic um, is, uh, guide in Israel I, I was watching, and he shared about God doesn't take you and drop you into belly deep alfalfa it, and just say, now you never have to reach for anything. Now you never have to try to grasp anything. You can just sit here. Everything you could ever want is provided. Has anyone's walk with Christ been like that at all? Just like you're dropped in, you didn't have to trust him for anything, didn't have to reach for anything. It's just every day is green pastures of Wisconsin. No, nay. That's not how it works. The green pastures that, that are being shown here is, is enough for right now. And I love this quote that worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. I'm going to say it again because I, you got you to get this this morning. Worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. See, David isn't saying when I choose to follow Christ, he takes me like a shepherd into a lush field so that I can just lay on my side and never have to do anything. What he's saying is I know like the sheep know that the shepherd will take me to where I get what I need right now. In the desert, you trust the shepherd for what you need right now. 10 years from now, 10 minutes from now, 10 seconds from now, you don't have any control. The biggest lie we tell ourselves is that we do have control. And then when tragedy strikes, we kind of snap out of it and realize like we don't. And so what happens all the time is that we, we get scared and anxious and fearful. So what am I gonna do about my job? 
What am I going to do about my future? What am I going to do about my kids? What am I going to do right here? What am I going to do then? What about this? What if this happens? What if all this comes out? I can't fix this. I can't solve this. What if I just do this? And what if I just, and we're just these people of anxiety. And what we're waiting for is God to take us and lay us down in the Wisconsin green field. And God's like, no, no, you're missing it. What I'm waiting for you to do is trust me like a sheep trusts a shepherd. Because what I want to bring you and what I want to bring you to is what you need right now. Ten seconds, you're going to have to trust me. Ten years, you're going to have to trust me. The future of your family and your job, you got to trust me. Now, I'm not saying don't work hard. I heard it once that uh, God takes care of the birds, but he doesn't throw worms in their nest. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm saying that we got to trust the shepherd. Our anxiety comes because we're looking for the food and, and we think, oh, I'm, I'm in charge of this. I, maybe I'll find this green air I can just lay down. And meanwhile, the shepherd who loves us is walking in front of us and saying, trust me. Trust me. Trust God. Matthew 6, 34, I saw it pop up a second ago. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Amen. So much of our life is robbed worrying about what we can't see yet. It's not even here. We've spent all of today's energy worrying about tomorrow. So what are we going to have to finish the day? And then tomorrow we're already spent all that energy. So what are we going to have tomorrow? And we become paralyzed. Has anyone ever become so paralyzed by fear and anxiety that you just like don't do anything? And it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy of nothing ever happening. And God is saying, and David realizes here, right, in this psalm, this is birthed out of his life. It's birthed out of his experience. Just like, just like when you cry to God and, and you praise God or you ask God or you wrestle with it, it's birthed out, of, birthed out of when I'm on my own, I'm like a fearful sheep who can't even lay down, can't even take a nap because I'm so anxious. But when I'm with God, he gives me what I need right now. And I, and I want to know, I really wish I had, but I can't. So I, ju I just trust him. And when I trust him, he leads me and it's good. And I love that David kind of ups the scale. This is good escalation in the song. Started with a very colorful image that drips throughout. The, we call it like let the color drip down uh, through the song. And then you kind of have this moment where you've established a point and then you kind of I don't know, for lack of better words, double down or re-up on it, bring it to the forefront, the crescendo, so to speak. And he says, not only will I not worry, but I won't fear. Verse 4, if you have your Bibles, it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is, this is good. This is good songwriting for those of you. This is good songwriting. The shadow of death. Not death itself, but the shadow of death. What is the shadow of death? It's fear. We often walk through these places of fear, of failure, of anxiety, of worry. But we walk through them with a God who's a loving shepherd. I, I think of it in this way. My daughter uh, in her room has like four nightlights because toddler. And I, and I plug the nightlight in thinking, the first one we got, thinking this will help. Uh, and she'll go to sleep. And then I can sleep. And then I can do my job. And so I plugged plugged it into the wall, and it casts a shadow over some stuffed animal or something. And she's freaking out. The shadows, the shadows, the shadows, the shadows. They're going to get me. I'm like, the, sh the shadows, because they're shapes to her. They're forms. They're images to things she sees. 
But when I flip on the light and I'm like, this, it's your Elsa doll. It's your Elsa. And I like make her come and like touch it and be like, oh, okay, it's fine. And I turn them off. She's like, ah, oh, shadows. I'm like, it's Winnie the Pooh and all of his terror. And she's like, oh, okay, it's fine. And she can go to sleep because the shadow of something can't do anything to you. It can only do what you allow it to do inside of you. And when we are with Jesus, Jesus defeated death. And so all that's left from death is the shadow of death and fear that tries to rob you of the peace in your life. So if Jesus defeated death and now walks with us, then we don't need to fear the shadow of death. If we beat the real thing, we don't got to worry about the shadow. It's like being afraid of the shadow of a dead thing. It's like a stuffed animal. If it was a bear, maybe be afraid. But it's a, it's a stuffed animal. It can't harm you. Because it's been defeated in the presence of our shepherd and our trust in him. It doesn't eliminate, right, the valley of the shadow of death. In fact, when he talks about the valley, it really means ravine. And when you see the pictures you see, you don't know what's around that ravine. And like he just told us, probably lions, likely bears. And so around that corner, it could be that it could be all these things. Who knows? But the fear of it, if we never move forward, if we never go with the shepherd, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on the fullness. Because David realizes something important. God doesn't want to just rescue us from the valley. God doesn't want to just lead us in these ways. He wants to bring us to good things. He says in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I know some people, because uh, we struggle with victory, don't like to hear me say, Jesus wants you to have victory in your life. Jesus wants you to have victory over fear in your life because he's already given you victory through his life. So if you're with him in his resurrection, in his life, you have that victory. You have that hope. You have that life. It's just the shadow of death. You have the victory that comes through him. And just like a sheep that has to trust the shepherd, has to walk with him, has to live their week, their Monday through Sunday, has to live that with them. We have to trust him as well. We have to walk with him. If we want the fullness of goodness and mercy that God promises, we got to say first, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Has anyone ever struggled to really, 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 I mean really, really say that in the valley, in the place where you've taken this bite of green pasture, but you're not quite to this bite of green pasture? Has anyone ever really struggled to say, God, I trust you? We can be real church. God, I trust you. Look what happens in the scripture. He leads me to green pastures. That's trust in him for what's needed right now. He leads me to waters. That's trust that it's safe. That's a whole other sermon. I couldn't even get there. Uh, he leads me through the valley. That's trust in his protection. He, he prepares a table in the presence of my enemy, which is a baller move. And, and that when I am surrounded, I'm not defeated. And some of you in your life right now, you're surrounded, but you're with Christ, so you're not defeated. And, and, and I think sometimes we forget that in our life, just because we're walking through the valley or are surrounded by our enemies, we think like, man, is God with me? No, God is with you. That's why you got the table, not the sword. That though we're surrounded, that God is with us, that he's leading us. But if we want to walk through it, the focal point of, of everything is will I trust in God. Will I take these things that give me anxiety? Will I take these things that, that bring anxiety into my heart? And like David, will I bring them before the Lord? And will I lay them at his feet and say, God, I give you this. I, I lay my finances at your feet and I say, I trust you. God, I lay my kids at your feet and I say, I trust you. 
God, I lay my relationships at your feet, and I say I trust you. God, I lay this nation at your feet, and I say I trust you. God, I lay the things that keep me up at night. I lay my health. I lay these things, and I say I trust you. I don't know what's going to happen in 10 seconds, but I know that you're good, and I know that you're with me. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and you comfort me, and you protect me. And so, God, I bring it before you, and I lay it down. And he's asking this morning, will you lay it down? I'm going to invite the band forward this morning. There's a lot of things I appreciate about Jesus. One of my favorite Jesus moments is when he calms the wind and the waves. Because sometimes I feel like in my own heart, I feel the wind and the waves. I feel the storm. I feel the chaos. I feel the anxiety. And I love that we serve a Jesus that stood up and said, be still. Be still. And they had to obey. They had to obey. Sometimes we are always in this petitioning context. God, would you please? God, would you? We forget that he is. God is bringing peace. God is bringing calm. God is good. And when we make the choice to say, God, I trust you, we step into that. One last thought here and then we're done this morning is there's this idea that I keep proposing that we would find rest and peace and life in God. And I want to encourage you that the rest of God is found in the love of God. The Greek word for the highest form of love, God to man, man to God, the the highest form of love that we can have is agape love. And agape is a word merging of of two words and two concepts. Ago meaning to lead like a shepherd and pao, which is a verb that means to rest. Love is our shepherd leading us to a place of true rest in his heart. And if you need rest this morning, if you need peace, if you've been in the valley of the shadow of death, and you know what we need more than anything? We need more of the love of Jesus. We need more Jesus. When we say, God, I'm stressed out. God, I, I, I'm full of anxiety. God, I'm panicking. My, my whole being and my cells is anxious, is wound up, is bound up. Every part of me, God, I, I need that to be released. You know where it starts? It starts with the love of God. It starts with the love of Jesus. And God's saying this, if you would come and you would take those things in your heart and you would lay them down before me, if you lay them down before the Lord, see that I would not fill you with all the love you could ever need. See that I would not fill you with all the love you could ever need. His grace is sufficient. It's sufficient this morning. Would you stand? Would you just close your eyes with me this morning? I I believe that there's a moment of decision in us that have wrestled with things that seem like Janice said, out of our control even. And we kind of need to re-up and say, God, I I trust you. Maybe for the first time, God, I trust you. I don't know every answer. I don't know what's going to happen 10 seconds from now. But God, would you lead me to what I need right now? You might not even know what that is. But God, I trust you. God, I trust in you. God, I put my trust in you. Only you, Lord, can bring me peace believe that some of you this morning, you're just desperate for some rest in the inner part of your soul, some peace, some restoration.
and God wants to bring that in right now. But he's asking, and I believe that the choice is important here. Uh, the, the Lord is my shepherd, but if I'm a sheep, I, I can try to run away. But the best thing to do is to follow. It's a choice to follow along. And so this is it. Just kind of every eye closed, every head, head bowed. There's a choice this morning. Jesus, I choose to trust you and to show you that I trust you. Whatever it is that has put worry, fear, and anxiety in my heart and my life, I, I'm going to come and I'm going to lay it at your feet. And I'm going to pray, God, would you fill me with more of your love that I might experience your rest. Fill me this morning, God. Fill me this morning, God. I don't want the worry. I don't want the anxiety. Fill me, God. Fill me up, God. Bring stillness and peace into my heart. Bring a rest into my soul. Rise up inside of me what you know that I need, God. Because I'm tired of, uh, of all of these things I can't control keeping me up at night and giving me panic attacks and attacking me at work and giving me anxiety and giving me worry. Jesus, I need deliverance from you this morning. I need something, so I bring it before you.